0: Hi, my name is Mary O'Connor, founder of Thriving Fast, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to my guest expert series. I'm delighted to have you participating. This is a series for self growth, understanding and practical techniques to enhance your life and your experience in life. Today, I'm talking to John Norseman. John is going to share with us some practical advice on how to progress our careers and our businesses how to ask for what it is we want, and how we can stand out in work for all the right reasons. John has lived through some extraordinary chapters in his life. He is a practical intuitive and has strong leadership and communication skills. He was CEO of four major companies and has lived in many countries. He has been a shaman since retiring in 2007. He lives in Britain, providing spiritual healing, guidance and teaching with his wife, Lee Norseman. For more information and to purchase a copy of John's book, Journey of a Shaman, please visit www.johnnorseman.com. John, thank you so much for being part of my expert series and I'm delighted to have you sharing your expertise and knowledge
1: Well, that's really good, and I'm really looking forward to doing it. And, I, yes, I've been looking forward to
0: it all day. Thank you so much. And just jumping right in, John, one of the issues that many of us have is that we want to move up in our careers, but the steps to get to where we want to go to can be a bit frightening. What are your suggestions for for when we're in that situation, and what strategy would you recommend so that we can make that move?
1: Well, that's a very broad question, and it encapsulates so many issues. And, and I could relate it to my experience, because I went through exactly that point. And it all comes down to making a change at work, in fact, is going to change one's whole life. And it needs so many issues to be addressed. But the fundamental choice seems to be the balance between working to live and living to work. And that's what people seem to want. And there was a survey done by the Washington Post a couple of years ago, and not just in the US, but in other countries, that showed that over 60% of adults wanted to change their lives. They asked the question in the context of work. In fact, it was broader than that, because after all, when one is working, pre-retirement... A huge part of life is being at work, so it impacts on everything else. So in order to make a career change, to build a happier life, the first thing to do is to find out and define exactly what you find specifically fulfilling. It's their point jumping from the frying pan into the fire. And very often people look at it narrowly. They need more money or they're not getting on with the boss or whatever it is. But the thing is, if they don't solve the fundamental issues, they're just going to find the same problems with whatever else that they do. And so the first thing, and this is worth spending a lot of time on, because this is defining where you want to be, who you want to be, what is it you want. And it could be that you find a particular hobby very interesting. And i found that it's often after they've retired and they're wondering what to do. Uh, But something that was a hobby, they turn into a business because they enjoy it so much. They are more successful financially than they were when they were working because they had to work. Or it might be traveling or you might be finding creativity in an artistic world. It might involve that you want to move. So many people live in cities and... They want to move out, and that happens a lot in Great Britain. Where you have people working in cities, who they find for family reasons, the cities are just getting too difficult. So they might want to move to a rural area, but that means a lot of other changes. You might want remoteness, mountains, seas, rivers, or living in other countries. It might be a desire to spend more time with family and friends. And the thing that really caused me to change. I spent many years in corporate life and my biggest case against the corporate world was it inhibited my personal relationships and it prevented me spending time doing the things I love most. And because my personal life had not been happy up to then, it was a chance to rebalance life to match job satisfaction with a happy personal life. And it coincided with me choosing to end my previous marriage after a long period of time. We got married too young, and of course one grew apart, and it was one of those things. And it coincided with meeting the lady who was my soulmate, and it was a case of that was one thing that polarised me. But it would mean there were all sorts of issues, because... One has to look at the practicality of what do you do. So I thought two things. I had got tired of corporate life. I held four CEO positions and I was 50, 50 50-ish years old. And I thought, well, I'm in a position I can just take stock. I know that doesn't apply to everybody. I'm just giving one story. But whatever your position, you build your plan around your situation. And so... In making the change, and it was a fantastically positive change because it gave a, a full meaning and richness to my life. But it meant, instead of just retiring and doing my hobby, which is boating, it meant my new wife and I started our own business. That was our way through it, which we made successful, and then we sold the business, and then we retired, then we uh, sailed halfway around the world together before truly retiring. Not really uh, doing the work I do now. So that is a true story. That's the example. The first thing is you make a wish list. Some people call it a bucket list, I think. But what are your life wants and goals? And then outline the positives and negatives of what needs to be done to achieve that. Now it's worth committing as much time as it takes to clearly define exactly what one's personal definition of fulfillment in life is and it's worth not setting any time deadline on that to think about it and write stuff down and but don't feel inhibited if your wishes need technical skills or, or life skills that you currently don't have or if you have a personal trait you feel is a weakness and it's important to think outside the box and most importantly and this is someone who has always trained in my profession To think a left brain is to allow yourself to listen to your heart as well as your head and balance that properly. And in my case, in my career, that was a decision I made fairly early on. I'd become qualified in a profession that combined economics with pure mathematics and various skills that led me to be able to... Be a backroom boy in some ways. But I quickly realized I didn't want to be a backroom boy. I wanted to be a chief executive. And therefore, I was very, very shy. I was at a dinner party, I never said it. And I had to learn to be able to do public speaking, to be comfortable with people, develop leadership skills. And I set about doing that. And you can go on courses and all sorts of things, but at the end of the day, it's a practice. And one does that. If you really want to do something, then you always can. And a very well-known golfer, American, years ago when he got a hole in mine in the tournament, some journalist went up to him and said, you were lucky. He said, you know, it's strange. The more I practice, the luckier I get. Mm. And it's so true in life that it doesn't fall off a tree into your lap. You have to work at it. But the important thing is to know what you really want. And one of the most growing things in one's whole development of self confidence is to turn your weaknesses into <laughs> strength. I found personally, now I've had many weaknesses in my life, that when I've overcome a weakness, it's one of the most growing things one can do because it develops your true self confidence to be who you really want to be. And so that's all part of the pattern. But that's just really going back to the original point. When one wants to change one's life, And if you change your career, just your career will change your whole life as well, or the other way around. Then you have to be very sure that you're changing to what you want it to be. And that's why I really urge people to think about it very hard and listen to your heart as well as your head. But of course, we live in the real world where one has to live, so you have to live to look at your head and the financials as well. So their stage is to work out a practical plan from where you are and from where you want to be. And the necessary actions include making a financial plan that supports your lifestyle. Some people are prepared to accept a reduction in income in the short term or the long term. And in making these decisions, it's common to ask, will it be enough money? To which the reply to that self-question should be, well, how much is enough? You evaluate what you need in order to enhance or develop the necessary skills in your desired career path. And part of that process includes evaluating your existing strengths and weaknesses in relation to the chosen wish list. If your goal requires skill in public speaking and you're naturally shy, like I was, be prepared to attend a course in public speaking and keep in mind practice makes perfect. And the other very general point really, is in everything in life I have found is remove all the blocks in your own mind. There are many books on the subject or people who can help. This is a lot of what I do. Just understanding people and tuning into them because I'm very intuitive. I'm what's called a practical intuitive, so I quite quickly feel what people are. And the only thing stopping you from achieving what you want in life are the blocks in your own mind. And it's easier said than than done because the blocks are put there by the culture we're born into, by the family we're in, by the people around us, etc. But it's an essential ingredient to turn your dreams into reality and achieve the fulfillment and peace of mind. It's very important. Don't listen to people who negatively tell you that you can't. If you want it badly enough, you can achieve anything by believing in yourself. And self-confidence is a key factor on the path of self-actualization. And another thing that happens, very often in a change of career, it means you're having to close one door before you open another. And it's a great human failing that we tend, and I've made it myself in my life, quite disastrously at one stage of my life. of trying to keep two doors open at the same time which ended up in an emotional train smash for everyone involved. And I learned from that and never did that again. But in a general sense, if you want to make a big change in your life, you have to be prepared to close some existing doors before the new door can open. Never try to keep those doors open. And I'll stop at that point because it leads to a whole range of other things. And one of the big things which is linked to this, is one of the most important things to learn in order to become who you really want to be and to find inner peace in your life, which is the ultimate goal of of tranquility, is that you have to learn to say no and mean it. And I see a lot of the work that you do. I was very interested to see what you've been doing is this whole area of people being bullied at work. If you just change your career to avoid being bullied at work, you just run into another bully. It's like changing schools, really. The bullies are everywhere around us, in personal relationships and business relationships. And that is a key part of the teaching I do which is teaching people to say no and mean it. Saying the words is not enough. You have to feel it with your heart and your energy, and it
0: will change your whole life. Thank you for that, John, and giving us some detail on the steps that we would take. I had another question. It's about when we want to have a career change or start a business, and sometimes in a completely new industry and we don't know where to get started, how should we approach this, and what steps would you recommend that we take? Would it be similar to what you said in response to the other question? Yes, it is, but I will enlarge on it more.
1: I know I I spoke for a long time to one question, but I was trying to paint the general scenario. There's so much detail within it. And one of the factors is that if one is thinking of changing to a different career, if you know that what you're doing is not what you want to be, and I'll give you my own example, I thought I wanted to be a chemical engineer when I left college, mm-hmm. and that's what I started doing, and in the days I was doing that, if you were doing any sort of engineering job, you were more desirable in for companies in your career. If you instead of going to university to learn engineering, you went on what was called a higher national diploma, where you did six months at college and six months at work. And I went to work in a huge company that took metals from ore coming in and created all sorts of chemicals and everything else out of that, a huge, huge part of in the practical training there were the research laboratories and i found that it wasn't what i wanted in practice and i thought what do i want to be and i actually sought guidance i thought i would want to become an accountant a chartered accountant because it seemed that was run by accountants, so I spoke to an uncle who was an accountant, and he said no. And then he, he named a career, which is the one I took up, which i have never even heard of, and I got all the literature on it. and Wow, that is really interesting. And it's meant a really intensive five year course of study, which I did. And then my career took off, and I I've been doing it. Now I was fortunate because I was obviously guided to talk to the right person, but I would recommend anybody who is dissatisfied with what they're doing. It's worth paying the money to do a proper assessment of psychometric testing. And it's worth spending a little bit of money on that because one as well as all the tests that you do, you're interviewed by an industrial psychologist who then is able to guide you to things which you've never heard of mm-hmm. or that you've got qualities you didn't know that you had, mm-hmm. which it picked up in the psychometric testing. So if you don't know, if you haven't already, lots of people know. I, Because I went from the stage of saying, well, I don't want this as my long-term career, and then started to take steps, and I fell on my feet so to speak, but I was probably guided as well. My intuition probably helped. But if you really don't know, if you just know, I don't want to do this, but what are my choices? It's probably one of the best investments one could make, is to have that professional report done. Yes. And then that opens up new vistas where you get all the literature you can get about the options that are available and what you have to do to get there. So that is the first step. Don't jump from the frying pan into the fire. Just be very targeted. Know exactly where you want to jump to because it's going to take a huge investment of time and maybe money, maybe having to take If you've reached a certain level in a career, if you want to change completely, you often have to take a reduction in income. This working out can live with that, and are you prepared to do that? It might not be like that. Everyone is different. You just have to look at all the plus points, all the minus points, and make haste slowly, is what I would say. So has that answered that question, or would you like me to enlarge more? Because I often find it's easy to talk about one's personal experiences as a little anecdotes rather than talk theory but i can go into it in more detail
0: if you'd like yeah i think so because as you referred to earlier john about 60 percent of people in a survey said that they weren't happy with their lives in terms of where they were so it's probably very relevant if you could add even more to that just to show people that there's a way to move forward but to take care and yeah if you Uh, could absolutely well, I think a very important part of the
1: assessment because I know lots of people are unhappy in work in some form of bullying. I don't mean sort of physically threatening bullying, but intimidation. It's what I call unwanted control and which comes in many forms. If I can use a case study, obviously, totally, uh, without anyone being able to identify who it could be, but a, a recent case study of a lady who's professionally qualified, a very good personality, who was unhappy because she was being bullied by her boss. And he was a man, she's a woman, of course, but that wasn't the primary thing. There's just as much, it's not so much a gender-related thing. But just to give you the whole background, this lady is married with two young children. And it went through the process, of teaching her to say no and mean it. And that's a process I had to go through because as a child I was subjected to mental and emotional abuse by my father and that affected me greatly in my life. I was very, I felt, I unlovable. I felt I had low self-esteem and that was a process I rebuilt I chose my path to re-establishing self-esteem by being successful in my profession. And therefore that gave me confidence and on that path overcoming all the weaknesses, not all of my weaknesses, for I'm sure all humans have weaknesses, but so many weaknesses. And that was a growing process of focused hard work. And, but going back to this case study, and it isn't a thing where it one can give a hat-key on it as to what to do. Mm-hmm. It's recognizing that at times you have to... There is a point in one's life where you have to say no and mean it. And that comes from the heart. The words are not enough, but if someone is used to being submitted to unwanted control, which is, of course, abuse, but it doesn't have to be physical or even very overt... It's quite subtle sometimes by picking on someone's appearance or their age or all that. But, but a bully will pick on anything someone's sensitive about. And putting out the energies of really no is the answer. And then the bullies go away to find easier targets. And it's like an energy of how people, why are different people attracted to each other or impelled right. by each other? It's an energy, it's what you put out, it's the unspoken energy. And so, once you stop putting out the energy of the victim, the abusers will go away. And as long as you you can say no as much as you like, but if you still have the energy of a victim, then you will still attract in the abusers. Mm -hmm. So, that process we went through, and... She did it. She needed two attempts at it, but she did it. She actually said no, but in a way where she was not subject to discipline within her life, just standing up to the bullying. The other interesting thing, and it's almost a warning I gave to people, she learned to say no
2: in every other aspect of her life, because it's like anything else. Once you learn a skill, it then applies to your whole life. And she
1: started changing other aspects of her life, including ending her marriage. Mm -hmm. Okay, She realized she was being submitted to unwanted control. I won't get into all the details, but... And she said no. And now she's very happy, very at peace. And during that process, once she learned to say no, she was offered a huge promotion... And she worked for a, a very large organization, which was actually a, a government organization. In another division of that government department, there was a huge step up, and they offered her the job out of the blue. So that's what I'm saying is these changes, people focus on their job, but most of the problems you have, are one has working within an environment, it's like at school, there are bullies, but you think, oh, when I leave school, there will not the course in the workplace, there are bullies, and so it goes on. And until you learn to say no, and I, I can tell you the story of a very extreme case, which again, some of this is recounted in the, the, the book I was guided to write about, it, but the lady I met who became my wife, which changed my whole life, Carly, that... She had been on her own for many years before she and I met she decided she wanted to be on her own. But she had learned to say no. This is a very extreme case. But she'd married a man who on the whole of it until they actually got married was really nice. In so it often happens in male female relationships. relationship. But once the wedding ring goes on, or the commitment is there then there is a shift in the desire to control. Mm -hmm. And he turned out to be physical abuser. And he said, told her, and she she knew it was true, he had it within him that if she left him, that he would kill her. And in the end, it was so unbearable. And she knew if she just ran away that he'd follow her. She wasn't prepared to put up with that. She actually a very strong character. And... It went back to the fact that in her childhood she'd suffered a piece of so That's why she called in that energy. Now one day she arranged everything and then she faced him in the home and said, I'm leaving you. And if you want to kill me, do it now. And she meant it. And he dropped his eyes and just let her go. So in other words, when you face the bully, and she meant it, he knew she meant it. And he didn't follow her. He didn't kill her. And then she went off and decided to find herself. And then, after a few years of being on her own, it happened. We met, and, and that was it. So, but what I'm saying is that that's a very dramatic example, but totally true. The case study I gave you of the lady we dealt with recently, well, about a year ago actually, but we're we're still working with her. Her whole life changed from learning to say no and dealing with her boss. And once she did that, it changed her whole life because she was able to say no on things she didn't like or saying no to unwanted control in every aspect of her life. And her self-confidence now is just amazing.
0: So it transferred over...
1: Absolutely. So what I'm trying to say is, I know people see it as being their careers, but it's almost, well, it is huge and positive news, but it's also a warning as well. That when one makes these growth steps in who you are and your strength, because courage is overcoming fear and other things, facing your fears and overcoming them. And once you've done that, then you just do it. And most people put their heads under the blanket. But the thing is to just face them. And it's all part of self-actualization, of becoming who you really want to be, of finding who you are and being yourself. And then you find you end up mixing with the right people who are like-minded, whether it's a personal relationship, friends, business, whatever.
0: Yeah, I think that's the big thing, getting the courage to face your fears. But you found an overlap, John, when people did develop the energy and the conviction within their heart to be able to say, no, it did change them, and they were able to make many other changes in their lives.
1: Totally, totally. There was a thing in an early stage of my life, I I couldn't stand on a chair without wanting to fall
2: off.
1: (laughs) In other words, I just couldn't stand any form of height. And then, at the age of 18, I went on a naval training course, and it, it included in those days, health and safety would stop it now. But I was told I didn't have to do it, but I wouldn't pass the course if I didn't, which was to climb a 140-foot mast with rope ladders like the ships. And I decided then I would do it. And the training officer, and he said two things. He said, don't look down and take your time. And I did just that. I couldn't afford it. I was so terrified. My my, my hands were like rigor mortis around the rope ladder. and something. And then finally made it, came down covered in sweat. And he said, We well, have done that. And I said, i was scared, absolutely rigid. And he said to me, courage is overcoming fear. And I learned that. I, I always, after that, was able to face my fears.
0: That was a big fear. And once you were able to tackle that one, it it formed a lesson for your life.
1: it's that confidence of knowing you can do it, because people so often look for the pill that will cure everything. Sometimes I say to people, well, it sounds to me like you're looking for the pill that will cure everything. All the answers to these problems are within oneself. Mm. All the solutions are within oneself. Within yourself. And then I view myself as a guide and a teacher. As people throughout my life have guided me. They always seem to appear at the right time to help me. And the key was to listen. I wish I had a pound or a dollar or any currency you like. Every time someone in business and personally now has said to me, Well, i have had to help someone now. And because what happens in life is we come to a series of crossroads. They're actually opportunities. And I would say to people, a very interesting thing about the Chinese language is the Chinese symbol. And the Chinese symbol, the threat and opportunity are the same. So every threat is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to change. And what happens as we go through life is not a journey. Life is a journey, and the trouble is we're not born with a manual. So we have to learn as we go on. And like a child can't learn to walk and then it falls over. And that's what we do. But the thing is to learn from it. And we come to a series of crossroads which are opportunities put in our way. And it can be but we'll keep it simple that there's that it's a crossroads with only one road only two roads ahead, one road is carry on the road we were on. The same job, the same relationships, the same this, the same that, the same the other, the same paradigms, the same mindset. And there's a new path, which is different, that is put in our way. And that is the time to make a decision. When I say, I wish I had a pound, a dollar, or any other language, or or any other currency. Every time someone says to me, well, I'm not ready to make a decision, so I think I'll stay where I am. I say, but you've just made a decision. You've made a decision to stay as you are that has consequences. What should I do? I say, I never tell anyone what to do because it has to be your decision. And my role is to guide you in your decision making process and find the answers within yourself. And therefore what I recommend is that you get a huge sheet of paper and you do two huge columns and one is your present part and this change of path. And write down all the positives and negatives of each of them, and the threats, and the things that give you foreboding, and the things that fill you with joy. Listen to your heart. Then make a decision. And it might be a valid decision that you say as you are, but you make it consciously after looking at the same analysis at the moment you're only looking at the pluses and minuses of the new path. you're just accepting the one you're on that you say you want to change and that survey shows that 60 percent of people want to change and yet people have the opportunities put in front of them but they don't take it because they're not ready to make a decision but they actually miss an opportunity because they have made the decision to stay as they are and it's one of those difficult things to get people to see and yet i think when it's spelled out like that. It's blindingly obvious. And yet, this is why people stay in abusive relationships, in uh, these unhealthy relationships of codependency. It's what they're used to. But it's not what they want. It's not what makes them happy. So what I'm talking about, even though it tends to be focused in changing one's career, if people understand that changing one's career is an integral part of changing your life to be what you want it to be, And everyone has the power to do that, but it's focused hard work. And, but it, in terms of the enrichment to one's life, it's there. But it, it's like anything else. One has to be prepared for the fact. If you change yourself, you almost inevitably are going to, not in with negative ways, it can be very positive, change your relationships, change your friends. You change your life in a total way. And the key is, that's why I urge people to spend a lot of time on really making sure that the leap they want to make is what they want to make. And follow your heart. And when it comes to career, it's well worth having a really professional psychometric testing, where you get the interpretation. I'll interview by an industrial psychologist who can open, perhaps opportunities in your mind that you didn't even know
0: existed, that you'd be I think that whole idea of being able to change, but it's something you actually, you want to do it. Not just that it's a nice idea, it's something you really have to want. And making those lists and really looking at them, I think is invaluable because It's in the back of many people's minds. And sometimes when we're going through our careers or in our businesses, different things are in the backs of our minds, but we don't take action. And sometimes people can live their entire lives like that. And other times then a time does come when you're almost forced to make a decision because maybe other things happen. And you really begin to take stock and say, well, really, do I want my life to be like this? for the rest of my life or for the foreseeable future. Sometimes we're almost forced with the crossroads, but it is a very conscious decision that we have to make and be aware of all of the pluses and minuses as you referred to earlier. Absolutely,
1: because the other thing is because I know so many people have this thing about age and it's all about positive thinking that... It's a matter of keeping the mind active. It's an holistic approach to life, of good nutrition, um, exercise, but being happy and having positive thoughts. There's very good books around this. There's one written by a chap who went to amazing experiences. who was able to quantify the power of thought. And one positive thought negates 85,000 negative thoughts. So one of the things I advise people is that unless you go and live on the top of a hill somewhere, you cannot avoid being in contact with negative people. And negativity is unsupportable. It literally, I call it energy vampirism, because if I'm around a negative person, I actually feel tired. They're literally draining my energy. I have to stop that. Because if you're in the real world, you're bound to... As well over 80% of the human population are pretty negative overall. They look at things, that the glass is half empty, not that it's half full and so on. And you are have to look at people's faces. And the thing is that when you've been around someone that's negative, with their negative thoughts and their negative comments and so on, and you're starting to feel so tired you almost lose the will to this, keep a little library in your mind of positive thoughts, something that makes you really happy. Yeah. Whatever it is, bring that up like a little library and the positive thoughts, it all goes away. One of the things I doing is a kinesiology. Are you familiar with kinesiology?
0: Somewhat familiar, John.
1: What it is, there are people who do it professionally, but I'm able to do it as well as, uh, as I learn. The only requirement for kinesiology to work is you're honest with yourself and in your mind and people are amazed when I put it very simply to them about what negative thoughts do to a person. They don't just lower your immune system, they make you physically weak. And you can even do it at a, around a table at a dinner party or something, you have a jug of all heavy water. And do the same thing with that. But what I do is demonstrate kinesiology. And I ask the person to tell me which is their stronger arm, okay? Well, if and you both stand up, and I ask them to put their strong arm out, horizontal to the ground. And I say, I want you to have in your mind neutrality. Don't think about anything, because what I want to do is test your natural physical strength. And they do that, and I then press my hand against their wrist and I say, resist me. I'm testing your natural strength so I know what what resistance they have to my strength. And I say, right, and now there's a reason I do this in this order. I want you to think. I don't want to know what it is. I want you to think the most negative thing you can think of. It's different for everyone, obviously. And we do the test again. They find they have no strength in their arm at all. I just lightly push it together. They can't resist me. And then I say, right, now, we I've created a lot of negativity there, I want you to think of the most positive thing you can think of. Now resist me. And I press down on the arm, and the arm is locked. I can't push it down. And you can do it around a table with a jug of water, you finally can't lift the jug. But in that demonstrates that you cannot afford one negative thought. But the problem is, in real life, if someone comes and punches you in the kidneys, you're not going to feel kindly towards them. <laughs> right. So I use that expression metaphorically. So when that happens, don't turn around and say the same or be nasty to them. Just ignore it. But think the most, let your, that thought go. And think the most positive thing, and then you'll be fine. But the power of positive thought is immense. And there are so many areas I would advise people to read a book on. One is the law of attraction. There are some very good books on law of attraction. It's a well-worn path. But if you really want something, if you put out the thought that this is what you want and it can't be I want a 500 SEL Mercedes on my lawn tomorrow that's ridiculous but uh, what I'm saying is what you want in life what you be very specific and what you're prepared to put in to get it and visualise it visualisation is important you need to be calm and tranquil uh, meditation if you do meditation or yoga or whatever it is you need to be in that state of mind but do it every day and you will draw in your life that you want to meet, the the person you want to meet, something like that. But be very careful, and I have to be reminded of this, that it's so easy to think about the things you don't want. If you think about the things you don't want, you'll draw those in as well. So so if you have fear and think, oh, I'm afraid this is going to happen, you'll draw it in, it'll happen. And to people who've not heard of this before, it sounds far-fetched. But there are some very good books around on the on the law of attraction, which you can look up on Google. I've never written one on it, but there's some very well trodden paths on that, which I would advise people to do because it's all tied in with the power of thought, and the power of thought is immense. And positive thinking is a huge part of being happy in life. So very practical. And what I'm saying is that it's amazing that people who haven't thought of that sort of thing before, who are not, who wouldn't view themselves as spiritual. They have found it very, very helpful. And there was even a case of a lady that we know who is married much more happily now to a man older than herself, where he was very negative. She loves him very much and they have a child, And but he felt insecure and was withdrawn. And What we said was, well, buy the book, The Law of Attraction, and get him to read it. And she did, and he did read it, and it completely changed his life by thinking positive. And it's really secured their marriage.
0: I just wanted to go on to another very specific question, Don, about some of us are not able to ask for what we want at work. There might be a new assignment that we know we would learn a really valuable skill from, or we might need help when we have so much on our plate that we know we won't be able to complete it on time, but we don't always know how to ask for the help or for the new assignment. And how should we approach these types of situations in your view, John? Communicate effectively.
1: I'm a great believer in face-to-face communication so much is lost through so much being by email and in personal and face-to-face is the best communication one can have and getting people to buy into things and then speaking on the phone is the next best thing the worst thing is trying to do it in writing and also to to make sure people don't feel threatened by the request and The thing is about building positive relationships and make sure you communicate at many levels. And I mean within a company. But I don't mean by breaking protocols. Mm. I just mean by being noticed. One of the best ways I found, having started at the bottom and ended up as CEO of several companies, was the ones who really are trusted my higher levels of management, for those who don't gossip. In fact, I used to find before the age of the email, it took me so much time I would know in the company which people gossiped, and then tell them it's fit confidence what I wanted to get out, and it would be out before I got back to my office. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's quite serious. Uh, but those people would not be trusted. When someone who keeps their mouth shut can be trusted, then more senior people are prepared to share with them and listen to them. So that's the first thing, and that's a very, very serious point, that uh, gossip is very destructive, and the company and the senior management don't like it, and that can inhibit you. Now, what's the next stage is when you're approached with an assignment, and this actually happened to me, and I only say this, not I'm just illustrating, I'm not a theorist, I'm a practical person, and all the anecdotes I tell are 100% the truth. I just make for confidentiality making such that people can't identify who I'm talking about but in my career it was my first really senior job after I fully professionally qualified and I went in in a sort of technical yes a bit of a technical job really and It was the time, can you believe it, when computers were first coming into the insurance industry. Everything was with the quill pen virtually before. These were the machines where probably an iPad now, there's more power than the original computers that used to take up acres of floor space in air-conditioned buildings to produce even the best output. Uh, But it was still very complicated. So So no one really knew anything about them apart from people who had been trained as programmers and so on by the computer providers, by the hardware providers. So it was a different age. And the company had to make this change of their their business. So basically, one of the senior executives said to me, would I be, be prepared to take on the task, be taken off all other duties, and to do this? I said, well, I don't know anything about computers. He said, don't worry, you will be managing people who who do. But we will send you on a one-week general familiarization course with a hardware manufacturer. So at least I would understand the jargon. Mm -hmm. And I said, yes, I can do that. I'd like, please, to have two weeks to put together a complete plan for you of the resources I need, both human and financial. And timescales, I will be to give you timescales with deadlines to reach certain statutory requirements as well for accounts to be done. And he said, okay, I did that. So I actually, but I also went around talking to people. So otherwise it's huge resentment. Oh, what's happening? But I wouldn't gossip, but I would just make sure that people
2: whose help I would need would not feel threatened. Mm-hmm. And equally, the deadline was pretty
1: ferocious, which meant towards the end, the computer people were actually running to test data, had to work all night. And so I did as well. In fact, I made myself useful making the tea and making sandwiches But the fact I was there. Was very important. In all yeah. as output was coming off the computer on these great computer sheets of the old days, I would be testing it to raise reasonability, you know, making sure decimal points were in the right place and things like that. And the fact of the matter is that through that, I made one's mark, but I did the job before I got the promotion. So the great thing is that the sort of stripes on one's arm or the epaulettes on one's shoulder don't mean anything if they're just given. You find if you do things, then the recognition will follow. and that's what I actually did. And that was my first example of doing it. But it's important to buy people in, talk to people. I know people don't do that these days so much, but the human side is very good. And someone said to me once that the trouble with the world today is information overload and demand overload. And people could get 150 emails in a day. They don't even have time to read them, let alone do anything with them. Yes. And the other thing is that it's the human touch. When I was running my own business after leaving corporate life, I had very good clients and, were personally, friendly with all of them. But they were nonetheless top professional people. And there was one chap, he was partner in the firm of Chartered accountants, very good plant. and he emailed me with a request. And I replied, and these are fictional names. His name was Michael. And I said, Dear David, because I've been talking to a chap called David on the phone before, and pressed the send button before... I realise I got it wrong. Well, in business, one well, of the worst things you can do is not get someone's name right when you're dealing with their money. And I immediately said, I sent another email. I'm terribly sorry. You know, that mm. I've been I've been talking to the chap with this name. Of course, I know what your name is. And he replied very humorously. A dear Cuthbert, that's all right, so
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but my point is, had I not done that, in other words, I was able to snatch Victory from the Jaws of Defeat by reading the correct mirror. One of the problems these days is through so much electronic communication and people overloaded with electronic communication, that vital ingredient of getting support, which was your original question, You've got to get the support of people. But the chief executive has to get the support of people, has to get the support of their staff of the customers and the shareholders. And those three demands often conflict. But unless you're able to reach compromises where all three can work, it's like the three-legged stool. You remove one leg and it falls over. And it's that balance. So at various levels, that principle applies throughout. So going back to your original thing, you're, you're given a project. The worst thing you can do is take it on knowing in your heart you can't do it because you don't have the resources because no one knows what resources you need. But to get the resources, you have people jealous about their budgets or resources or what's it if they or who's this person think they are. You need that personal touch of talking to people and buying them into it. the best thing you can ever do is get what you want done, get the other person to believe it was their idea, and then, boy, they'll run.
0: Well, that's a a great skill, John.
1: But we can all learn it. Someone who has been offered a project like that is likely to be a person who is seen pursuing the management who of giving them this, this project, know what they're doing, see they have the potential, and the ball has been thrown, and it's a matter of then, well, you've been given the opportunity, make sure that you have the agreement to the resources, financial and human, and time, realistic timescales. I was always very demanding in business, but I equally used to say to people, stretch but never overreach. And sometimes people would come to me with a target, or oh, a you know, sales target this year, Well, all right, we're going to dump And i say, hang on, that's overreaching. Stretch, but don't overreach. Mm. And I, I don't know how many of you and your listeners, back at school, used to do the high jump.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: in athletics. Well, if the bar went up a little bit with each jump, maybe how hard you could do. But if it suddenly went up to the height you could jump, you would just go straight through the bar. It's got to be something your mind believes it can do. And it is indeed practical. And so you've been given your big opportunity when you are given that sort of thing. But it's a huge compliment as well. But then it's not a matter of going away with a thinking feeling. You then have to get agreement to the fact that, well, I want to put up how I'm going to do it, which means resources, time. In other words, if you've been given an impossible time scale, it's important you evaluate that before you take it off. And if the top, and if the management, of whatever level of the management, project, giving you that project, probably part of the test is to see whether you have, whether one has the sense to come forward with that. So, yes, anyone could do it, because by handling it in that way, but not through an email or a a text or something, just talking to the people involved.
0: The relationships are very important, building relationships. Hugely. In
1: fact, life is relationships, whether corporate, the good, the bad, and the ugly, whatever it is, it is relationships. And one of the great problems is that... Because of the world as it is today, that there's a whole generation who are not used to having interpersonal skills, because everything is text and shorthand and sound bites and so on. And, but the thing is, however a good one is at writing, I really do believe there is no substitute for the human interaction and the building loyalty and two-way help. Because if you're if you're given a a big assignment, it's a big opportunity. But it's a thing, it's a mistake to even take on unless you are happy, yeah. you're the recipient of, of, of that compliment. And indeed, if I ever did that, I would expect the person to say, well, I need to put a report, and so on. In fact, what I I would do with people when I was in the position to be in the position of a grantor of opportunity like that, if they didn't say so, I would say, well, in two weeks, I'd like to see from you your proposal for how you're going to do this, what resources you need what uh, financial and human and what time scales you think are realistic and then we'll go through it together. And that was the point where I would because if it's someone's first opportunity they to be so eager they come up with quite unrealistic objectives and they'll say, well, I think you're overreaching here because miracles happen and sometimes um, the impossible happens never. So... Mm-hmm make a joke of it but the the right person will actually if you don't offer that go off that otherwise they might as well
0: go and train as a chemical pilot I have found too that when you're face to face with people you get an understanding from them you're looking at each other you're seeing their facial expressions and there's a connection that's built that's far better than on the phone but I agree that the phone is the second type but And you have the opportunity when you're with somebody and looking at them to make a strong connection and almost get to know them at some other level rather than just... Very much so.
1: Very much so. Because it's all about what I said before. It's about a vibration. And it's a bit like in these basic interpersonal courses, to, to recognize people's space, which is different on everyone. If you are talking to someone and you intrude on their space, they'll start to back off. You need to recognize that because it's it's different for everybody. It's not a criticism of the person. But people, people tend to like their own space and then they get very fidgety if someone gets too close to them. And equally, we all know that we need people who we instantly like. And we meet people we instantly don't like, and then there's people we're, who we're indifferent about. But it is all about synchronization of vibration, that everything is vibration, and color is vibration, and light is vibration. So uh, uh, what is it that attracts people or repels people from each other?
0: It's vibration. It's uh, harmonics. It, it's that unspoken communication. Yeah. that
1: we're all aware of, but it is tangible. And it's that one works with if one understands it. And also understanding the different personality types of when you're dealing with people in a business again. It's the old classic thing, there are drivers, analytical, variables, and expressives. So if an analytical is talking to an expressive, they'll sometimes have great communication difficulties. But if you recognize what you are, what one is, if an aware analytical is trying to get a point across to an expressive, then you don't use facts and figures. Or if you're dealing with an amiable, you use emotion rather than facts and figures. You might have to have facts and figures. It's communicating in a way their receptors can accept.
0: So knowing the personality types and being able to try to determine those and see what will work for each person if we just go on with something else now just for the moment this whole idea of being ourselves at work and sometimes we play a role rather than being ourselves and john would you have any recommendations for us with how we can be ourselves at work or in our businesses and stand out from the crowd for all the right reasons so that we can actually succeed
1: well, that's a very deep question because, and I'll share my own situation, that sometimes in business, depending on to what job one is in, but the path I chose, which was senior corporate management, that my emotional side, my sensitive side, I couldn't show. I was always very humane, but it's quite interesting when you see when people see pictures of me through my corporate career I'm a bit like a mannequin I look like plastic man because I <laughs> I portrayed what people expected to see in the teenage years mm. whereas in fact I'm so you have to put, uh, because otherwise people will take advantage of what they see as weakness I don't view it as weakness I think being emotionally sensitive as a plus that you keep it for the right situation. And therefore, sometimes, depending what we do in our jobs, we have to hide some of our true self. The important thing is to know who one's true self is. And I went into corporate life as a means to an end. It meant, it prepared me for what I was doing later life. I lived and worked in different cultures, understood different cultures. how people are so different in different cultures and yet you get nice and bad. And if you treat people decently, it doesn't matter what their cultures are gender, they treat you decently back and vice versa. But knowing how to treat very differently in different cultures. And it's really, what it depends very much what one is doing. One of the people I helped was a hospice nurse. And she had the problem, a huge problem. She was a really perfect person to be a hospice nurse, an absolutely beautiful soul. And yet it was damaging her so bad because she was absorbing the fear and of the people she was taking up to and through death and would go and sit in her car twice a day crying her eyes out. And I had to show her that that was destroying her. That she had to put up a barrier of not absorbing their pain. But that what she did was help them across to the other side mm. and give them comfort. And we went through a number of of things that I that I do that made a huge difference. And So so that was a classic situation. It's the way a surgeon has to view the people he's cutting up on the operating table, not as humans, he mustn't be friendly with them. You know, how can you really carve up someone who you know as a friend? Which is why doctors are not allowed to have their close family as patients. So I'm giving you different examples that as long as you know who you are, as long as you know who your standards are and you live by them, as long as you know what you do is right by your standards, the person who is you, it's important to show to people the part of you that will help them and certainly not to show to people the parts of you where they could damage you. So it's... Being oneself, on the one hand, I my mission is to help people. And on the other hand, I'm a very private person. Because I can't get too close to people with these problems emotionally. Therefore, I have compassion. But I don't get involved in their emotions. Yes. I'm not sure I've answered your question because I think the 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 bottom line of the question is, yes, it's two things. If you don't know who you are, that's what we call self-actualization, then it's confusion. If you don't know yourself, to use an inexpression, if you haven't found yourself, not one I like, but it's a familiar expression. That doesn't mean you go showing yourself to all of the sundry. You sometimes have to only show that of you which people are ready to see. But what does happen once you found yourself is you draw into your life <laughs> people who are complementary and
0: I think what you said about having your own standards there are certain parts of ourselves when we're at work that may not be relevant to display but once you know your own standards i think that's an important part of being yourself at work have integrity those are things that if you don't have that is the
1: biggest thing integrity once you're known to have integrity then
0: John, this has been great I've really enjoyed how you have used your own life to share with us the lessons that you've learned and I really appreciate it and I wanted to ask you was there anything in your life at the moment anything that you wish to talk about any projects that you had ongoing any books or other writings that you'd like us to become aware of
1: Well there's the book itself and the which is an ongoing thing because it's very interesting. Publishers did two campaigns running a fifteen second video and each one each one got over hundred and fifty thousand impressions and over seven and a half thousand clicks on the website. And they do an analysis at the end of the demographic makeup of those. And what's so interesting was that the largest single age group who were looking for the messages and guidance that comes out of the book. We're in the age range 18 to 35, but they went all the way up to 91. (laughs) But it was so interesting that young people, and it's not predominantly this sort of help seems to appear to be sought by women, but it was 50-50 male and female, both campaigns. So that was one thing. In terms of what's going on at the moment, there are two things that I'm about to start doing another book, which is on the case studies, the sorts of things we've been talking about, taking it to the next stage. And it includes a lot of what happened when the book was launched back in 2015. I spent six months in the US and Canada going around doing book signings, radio interviews, and that bookshops, all sorts of things. And that's created a huge amount of, of interest that is ongoing and has uh, and now got a lot to say in, in terms of practical, actual case studies, obviously, which all the names changed, but, and so on. And also uh, a film production company offered an option contract to me, which I signed where it's in the process of screenplay being written to make a movie. Uh, So there's
0: a lot going on. I think that just speaks to how your book, The Journey of a Shaman, really resonates with people and what you've described in the interview that we've just had. And would you just share with us your website address as well, please, John?
1: Yes, certainly. It's ww.dot that's J O H N N O R S E M A N dot com and that'll take you to the home page which gives us a summary of really the messages in the book and then two buttons on that page to make it easy. To uh, just go straight into Amazon, either Amazon.com, if it's out of the UK, or Amazon.co.uk. And in fact, you'll see on there, there have been four or five star reviews by readers of the book.
0: That's great. Thank you very much, John. And you said you've designed an option for a movie?
1: Yes. But it's early days yet. The screenplay is being written. Obviously, a screenplay is very different from, well, it's not different, but it's a film based on book. but it's intended to be a, a full-length movie with, um, you know, a major movie, a feature movie. Uh, that is the objective of the Film Company. not It's 30 days, but it just shows there is a lot of movement, a lot of interest, and it's all very exciting. It keeps me young.
0: That's definitely very exciting. Congratulations.
1: But if I could just end by saying that in Seattle, I was having a coffee outside, as the Americans have, a coffee and cake, and this old lady approached, she turned out to be 91. Amazing, No things, all her facilities about her, and she she could join us, plenty of other tables, and that tended to happen, people pick up on, her the energy. And she was a wonderful person. She'd been born in Seattle, been through the Great Depression, and a bit of a professional violinist. She is absolutely bright as a button, and her name was Virginia. And she admitted to having 91 birthdays. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: not give it away because she's on the blog site, it's all really interesting that we met, we'd say, would you mind if we took a picture of you? And we told referred to, you're such a wonderful person on, on the blog. Yeah, she was happy with that. Mm-hmm. So she appears on the blog, which is on the website. And because I said to her, Virginia, if you had one sentence to say, if you could just do it in one sentence to young people crying out for leadership, crying out for the direction, indeed not just young people, what would it be? She said, do what inspires you. And then on the blog it had a picture of the magnificent Virginia. And at the head of the blog it says, Virginia of Seattle says, do what inspires
0: That's such a great laugh from somebody who's 91. At the end, after everything, after all the material things, after seeing so many changes in life herself at the age of 91.
1: Very much so. And so we gave her a copy of the
0: book. Lovely. Listen, John, you have really been an inspiration. And I want to really thank you for your time and all the effort that brought us here together today.
1: Well, thank you very much, Mary. And I would equally from my heart like to say I have huge admiration for the work you're doing and the way that you're doing it, and you'll always have my complete support.
0: Thank you so much, John.